Our text this morning comes from 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. And the Apostle Paul writes, This thou knowest, that, you know, it's so helpful if you have 1 Timothy instead of 2 Timothy. You just can't get good help nowadays, can you? I knew right away that that wasn't reading the way I wanted it to read. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Christ Jesus might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them that should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you notice there in the very beginning how Paul categorizes himself? He says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul considers himself to be the chief of sinners. And in writing this letter to young timid Timothy, his son in the gospel, Paul indicates that if Jesus Christ can save him, he can save anybody. Because he said, I'm the chief of sinners. And since I've obtained mercy, anybody can obtain mercy. And that being the case, Paul said there is no reason for anyone, anywhere, anytime to despair. Now think about this and keep this in mind with Paul. In the sense of being immoral. Paul was never a wicked man. Paul was never a reprobate. Paul had been a religious man all of his life. He was a man who zealously endeavored to serve God. But Paul had persecuted the church. Paul had made havoc of the church. And yet, if you go back to that time in Paul's life, that time when he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters, that time that Paul was making havoc of the church, that time that he was hunting down Christians and putting them to death and putting them in chains, Paul was honest and he was sincere in his madness against the church. He thought this new group of people, these followers of Jesus Christ, were heretics. They were perverters of the law of Moses. They were transgressors of the Decalogue. And Paul felt like it was his sworn duty to God to exterminate this new heresy. But then one day, he's on the way to Damascus. 
He's got letters from the chief priest to take any Christians he finds and put them in prison. And on his way to Damascus, this bright light shines about him, blinds him and knocks him to his knees. And he heard a voice. And the voice said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. And the very next words out of his mouth, What would thou have me to do, Lord? He said, Go into the city, and there it will be told you what you must do. So he went into the city. And the preacher Ananias came to him and said, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. He told him God's plan of salvation. And he said, And now, Saul, why tarriest thou arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord? Saul of Tarsus learned he was in rebellion to God. And so he changed his whole course. And he called on God for mercy. And he complied with what the preacher Ananias told him to do. Over in Acts 26, he's before King Agrippa, and he's telling Agrippa about that situation. He said, I was not disobedient to that heavenly vision. And after that, Paul rejoiced in the full forgiveness of his sins. Folks, when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, we find numerous demonstrations that Jesus was the friend of sinners. That Jesus had compassion on sinners. That Jesus was anxious to help them and Jesus was anxious to save them. Now when we think about this topic this morning, when we think about talking about Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners, and we think of Christ as being the sinner's friend, we must make sure, sure and certain that we understand Jesus was the friend of sinners. He was not the friend of sin. Jesus never anywhere endorses the sinner in his or her wrongdoing. And there can be no terms of peace between Jesus and that sinner as long as that sinner is defiant, rebellious, and persists in living in sin. In order to obtain mercy and to enjoy the friendship of Jesus, the sinner must be sick of sin and anxious to have relief from its guilt and its pollution. But, as the friend of sinners, Jesus is ready to save the most depraved and vile man or woman that ever walked on the top side of God's green earth. But, Jesus Christ cannot, consistent with His will and with His plan, save any sinner so long as they love sin and desire to remain in sin. I want you to think back with me this morning. Think back to the stories we read about in the Gospels. To the time that Jesus walked up and down the dusty roads of Palestine. 
The sinners that came in contact with Jesus, they found in Jesus a kind, tender, and sympathetic friend. And the ones who found a kind and tender and sympathetic friend, they were those humble sinners, those outcasts who realized that they were lost and they were undone. They were those that realized how terrible sin was. You see, Jesus came in contact with the scribes and Pharisees a lot. And they were also sinners. And I would submit to you this morning, the scribes and Pharisees were the very worst of sinners. Jesus denounced them in some of the most scathing terms possible. In Matthew 23, He says, You scribes, you Pharisees, you hypocrites... You're like whitened sepulchers that appear beautiful outward and inside are full of dead men's bones and all kinds of uncleanness. He even referred to them once as a generation of snakes. Those scribes and those Pharisees, they could have found a friend in Jesus if they had realized the need for pardoning love. But you know why they didn't see the need for pardoning love? They felt like they were righteous. They felt like they were holy. They felt like they had arrived. They considered themselves to be the true guardians of heaven's laws. And so instead of those scribes and Pharisees feeling a need for Jesus in their lives... They felt like Jesus needed them. They were sinners. And they were the worst kind of sinners that any man or woman can ever be. They were religious sinners. They paid tithes. They fasted. They prayed standing in the street corners. And they were meticulous about observing their traditions. In fact, they were so busy enforcing their opinions on others. And they were so blinded by their zeal. And they were so smug and self-satisfied in their mad heresy hunting that they never thought of measuring their own lives and attitudes by the character of God as revealed in the Bible. Those scribes and Pharisees were sinners badly in need of salvation, and they didn't even know it. Jesus told them about their hypocrisy. And telling them about their hypocrisy, Jesus showed them they were bound for the fires of an eternal hell. And they didn't believe Him. You know what it did? It made them angry. It made them hate the Lord for being truthful with them. They were self-satisfied, self-sufficient, self-righteous, self-serving sinners. And they felt no need of a divine Savior. Folks, we need to have a sense of sin. 
There's a lot of times folks don't come to Jesus because they don't feel like they're sinners. They don't feel like that they need the Lord. And when we tell about Jesus Christ and we present the story of the cross of Jesus, it ends up being a stumbling block to a lot of people. If you think about it, if you really look at the story of the cross, it's not something that's complimentary to mankind. It's not a compliment to the human family to say that humanity had gone down to the depths of depravity to the extent that God had to send His Son Jesus from heaven to save humanity. It's not a compliment to me or to you or to the human race that Jesus had to shed His blood for us on the cross. But in our sophisticated age, in our age where we have so much knowledge, and we can take, well, some of you can, some of us can, but some of you can take your smartphone and and check facts immediately on the Internet. Those of us with a flip phone, we still can't do that. But in this sophisticated, enlightened age that we live in, the thing that eludes us oftentimes is a sense of sin. And what we have to realize, all of us are sinners. And we've got to feel the burden of that sin. And we've got to realize that we are heavily involved and heavily in debt And we don't have anything to pay our sin debt with. Have you ever had the experience of having too much month left at the end of the money? And you've got the bills to pay, and you've got a a stack of bills this high, and the cigar box with the money in it is empty, and there's no way to pay them. I used to tell people that the way I did it is I took every month, I put all my bills in a cigar box, and I put all my money in another cigar box. And I took out a bill, and I took out the amount of money out of the cigar box. So the cigar box with money in it was empty. And I used to tell the story that I had a guy call me one time, and he said, hey, I didn't get a payment this month. I said, well, I didn't draw your bill out of the cigar box before I ran out of money. Well, you need to define a different way. I said, you mess with me. I won't put your bill in the cigar box next month. Have you ever had that experience? That's the way we are in sin. Our sin debt is here and our ability to pay it is down here. And we've got to have Jesus to pay that sin debt for us. We are hopelessly insolvent and completely irrevocably bankrupt to pay the sin debt of our lives without Jesus Christ. And so when we realize that, when we realize we can't pay that sin debt, that we're completely insolvent, then we go to the One who's able to pay that sin debt for us. I think what's tragic is, I think oftentimes the reason we're not better people And the reason we're not more grateful Christians, I think sometimes we don't realize just how terrible sin really is. 
Because for many of us, we simply inherited our religion. And there's no deep personal conviction that comes with it. Inheriting our religion, we never really fully understood the guilt of our own sins and sought and found relief in the glorious gospel of Jesus. And there are so many churches all over this land of ours today that gain more by swelling and generation than by regeneration. We hear people talk oftentimes about how we are a Christian nation. But I would submit to you what we have in our world today is far too many nominal Christians. Professing Christians that conduct themselves and live like a practicing atheist. Because oftentimes, we don't feel grateful to God. And we don't rejoice in the privilege that we have of serving God. In our day and time, so, so often folks do what little they do, not because of a desire to serve God or a desire to please God or a desire to say, thank you God for all you've done for me, but it's just out of an irksome sense of duty. And almost like those scribes and Pharisees, we've got a checklist and if we can check off enough boxes on the checklist, and as I've said so many times, do like I used to do in college, I'd get the syllabus and see what the minimum requirements were to pass the course, and that's exactly what I'd do, nothing more. And we look at the religious checklist and the Jesus checklist, and we check off the boxes, and we're content with the minimum. When we come to the point that we realize that we are lost and hopeless and helpless without Jesus. And that Jesus came to rescue us and to save our souls. And we understand that in Jesus and Jesus alone we have hope. Then we're going to run to Jesus just like we'd run from a burning building. If this building was on fire right now, and you could see the flames through the glass in these doors up here, would I have to beg anybody to get out of this building? Would I have to get down and say, oh please, this building's going to burn down, please get out? No. I wouldn't see anything but the back of people's heads rushing out those doors. Well, as much as some of these, some of you folks can rush. That's all I'd say when we say that we are forever lost without Jesus. When humanity understands that without Jesus they are lost, we, don't have, we won't have to beg folks to come to Christ and serve Him. But there's something we need to understand too as the church. The church is a hospital for sinners. The church is not a museum 
for saints. The gospel is something that was meant for sinners, and Jesus saves sinners. And I don't mean to be unkind in any way, but when Jesus came to save sinners, that's me and that's you. And it's oftentimes the outcast we don't want. I mean, let's face it. Sometimes the people Jesus especially invited to be His friends, they're not the kind of people we really want in our church. Think about those guys that He called. We talked about some of them this morning in our Bible class. Peter and Andrew and James and John, they were fishermen. When was the last time you were around somebody that came back from a fishing trip, walked up beside them and said, Oh, you smell good. Let's face it, if Peter and Andrew and James and John strolled in here this morning, probably nobody really wants to sit close to them. But Jesus says, you guys come and follow me and I'm going to make you some of my closest friends. And there was Matthew, that tax collector, that reprobate Matthew, a traitor to his own people. Jesus said, come on, Matthew, I've got a job for you. And then Jesus, Matthew held a big dinner in his honor. Well, the only people Matthew knew were other tax collectors. That's who he invited to the dinner. And Jesus showed up and ate with those people. And all those scribes and Pharisees were scandalized. And do you know what Jesus said? He says, those that are whole don't need a physician. I didn't come to the pious. I came to the irreligious. All through the New Testament, there are stories of Jesus Christ as the friend of sinners. In John chapter 8, there's that woman brought to Jesus in adultery. She's thrown down at His feet. And those Pharisees, <clears throat> Master, we caught this woman in adultery. She was in the very act of adultery. The law says we should stone her. What do you say? And Jesus kneeled down and He started writing on the ground. And He said, I'll tell you what. They all got their stones in their hands. The one among you that's without sin, let him be the one to cast the first stone. Remember what it says in John 8? From the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones on the pavement and they left. And Jesus looked at that woman. She's sitting there. She's crying. Her dress is torn. Her hair is disheveled. She's got the grime of the streets on her face. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? Does no man condemn you? She said, no man, Lord. He said, neither do I. Now listen to him, though. He says, go and sin. No more. In Luke chapter 15, there's that son that wants to... He says, I want my money. I want my part of the inheritance. And he goes to the far country and he spends it in riotous living. And as long as his money held out, the friends were there. But then one day he wakes up. And he's hopelessly in debt for everything. And so he ends up hiring himself out to slop hogs for a pig farmer. Absolutely the worst thing that some Jewish boy could be doing, some self-respecting Jewish boy having to slop the hogs. And he gets to the point that he's so hungry 
that he wants just to eat that slop he's pouring out for the hogs. And he starts thinking about life back home. About his father's house. About his father's servants. And so he makes up his mind. He goes home. He said, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. But the father welcomes him with open arms. He kills the fatted calf. He puts a ring on his finger and said, My son has come home. And then there's that sinful woman that anointed the feet of Jesus and wept over his feet in the home of Simon the Pharisee. There's Zacchaeus, that tax collector in in Luke chapter 19. There's Mary Magdalene. She was one of the first people at the tomb of Jesus after His resurrection. He cast seven devils out of that woman. She had a less than sterling reputation. But she was one of Jesus' closest friends. Jesus Christ was the friend of sinners. And He's no less the friend of sinners today than He was then. And just as then He said, come to Me and rest, He says that same thing to sinners today. Jesus is rich in mercy. And His terms of salvation are simple and they're easy. He tells folks, all that you have to do is believe on Him with all your part. Turn your back on sin through repentance, confess His name, and be buried in the waters of baptism to wash away all those sins. There's a song we sang a lot. We can't sing it this morning because the song is, Oh, Why Not Tonight? Rodney, I have seen guys lead that as an invitation song at a morning service, though. But we're not going to. I'm not asking you to. But I heard that. But part of the words to that song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? Believe. Obey. The work is done. Be saved. Believe in Christ, obey His commands, and live for Him. It's His invitation as we stand and while we sing.